we left off, and thank you to uh, Brother Steve, by the way. I, I didn't mention that at the start. You got to give people their flowers while they're here uh, for being uh, ready and able to fill in for me yesterday. And I uh, wish I could have been there again to hear it. I heard you did a wonderful job. I will go back and watch it online. Uh, don't feel bad. Uh, so the next portion of what we're looking at here is the action of mental dialogue. And so if you look at this, this verb for the word dialogizomai, uh, you can really see the action uh, come through. Now, this word exp- uh, is used to express. And the verb or verbal form uh, for mental conception is used in a couple of different ways. Um, go with me over to, no, not go with me over to, look to your slides. And so as uh, a verbal conversation taking place in the mind uh, of the individual in an imaginary, uh, of, in an imagery, not imaginary, of the possible outcome of uh, the thought and consideration but not necessarily socialized. And so this is the first way that it can happen. And so remember back to our uh, senses giving us thoughts and then this imaginations or, or mental conceptions taking place. And what's playing out here, i go to the next, oops. Uh, is, is this. And so you see a thought, you see the mind, uh, will, and emotions affecting that thought. Then you see this inner uh, conception. And so the processing of the thought, the visualizing of a thought, the formulation of a conception. Now, it can go one of two different ways. It can stop right here. And we kind of alluded to that before. Or it can go further where we've seen and you can verbalize those conceptions. Now, what did we look to and see where this happened? As the disciples were talking, they had these mental conceptions in themselves and then they socialize them with each other. And so uh, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. <laughs> or this person over here is going to be the greatest. Uh, you see that take place. And so hopefully that kind of helps you to picture this. <coughs> Excuse me. Hopefully that won't happen too many times in this second uh, hour. As a verbalized conversation also that is shared with others uh, is the, the other part of that. And so uh, the inner uh, mental discourse that takes place, we want to look at as well. And so as we're looking at it in this form, we're looking at that which takes or results from the action uh, taking place within the mind of an individual prior to expression. And so that's kind of the first first one we looked at. Uh, And so uh, go with me over to Mark chapter two and verse six. Uh, as well as verse eight, we see that the scribe, scribes conceived imaginary or, or boy, I keep doing that imagery concerning Jesus, uh, saying he was uh, he could forgive sins in, um, in the place of the heart. Go with me over to Mark chapter two and verse six. And a lot of these are going to sound uh, similar. <laughs> And as we hit them, I'm going to uh, skip a few here because we only have a, a little bit of time to get to the last part, which is going to take up a lot of our time. Uh, but pick this one up in verse one. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. 
No, not so much as about uh, the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not uh, come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick uh, of the palsy lay. And when uh, Jesus saw the faith, or excuse me, their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven. And so remember, we looked at uh, this one in another context before. Uh, and the Lord uh, heals him of this uh, uh, palsy. But in verse six, he says, but there uh, were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning. And so having this mental, mental dialogue in their hearts, why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit. And so, again, uh, look at this one and the difference here from our last one. <clears throat> there, he didn't even, uh, uh, he, he it was uh, intimated in the context that he had heard. It wasn't expressly uh, stated that he didn't hear what they said. Here it's saying he perceived in his spirit. He didn't have to hear what they said. They didn't have to socialize it to him. He heard it or he understood it, uh, excuse me, in his spirit. Uh, and uh, that they so reasoned or, or uh, had these mental conceptions within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? And so what's easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins be forgiven of, him, uh, of you or get up and walk? Either way, I've healed the man and I have the power to forgive sin. And that's uh, what he wanted them to understand from it. We also see that men around uh, John the Baptist, and I'm going to start skipping through some of these because they're going to overlap. John the Baptist had an inner conception regarding uh, if he was uh, the Christ uh, or uh, the men around John the Baptist did. And we can also look at this as uh, that which takes place specifically uh, within the minds of an individual. And so we see that Mary, uh, and we won't go to that one again because we uh, saw something similar to it in the same context, uh, but Mary had the mental uh, discussion regarding the news the angel shared with her concerning the birth of Christ. Uh, we also see that uh, the rich man in the parable conceived thoughts within himself concerning what to do with his riches. And then lastly, uh, the high priest challenged uh, the council for failing to conceive in their minds that the, it was expedient for Christ to die on behalf of the nation. Now, this action of inner conception, uh, we want to look at a little bit further. And we see this action of, of constructing um, thought in the mental concept in the mind. And so, uh, again, that would play into what did that get entered twice there? That's the same verses. Skip down to point D, the outward expression. And so this is where you're actually socializing this. And so it would be that last part where you see verbalization of inner conception. Uh, and so the expression pertains to mental concepts being socialized to other individuals. And so you see the disciples socialize their conception amongst each other concerning uh, what the Lord meant by predicting his death. We can go to that one over in Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. And remember, uh, as you're thinking about these disciples, the Lord often tells them he's going to die and he's going to be resurrected from the dead. But it's almost as if when it happens, they had no idea that he had ever said this. Right. 
And we saw that in one of the contexts we looked at early on, uh, that they, they uh, actually in that context, it said it was hidden from them. Uh, but pick it up in verse 30. It says, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not uh, that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he will or, or shall rise uh, the third day. But they understood not this saying and were afraid to ask him. <laughs> and so they didn't understand what this meant. And further, they didn't even want to ask him concerning what it meant. In verse 33, and he came uh, to Capernaum and being in the house, uh, he asked them, what was it that you disputed amongst yourselves by the way? And so this word for uh, disputed, I believe, is our word here for uh, conceptions. They had this thing going in in the minds of each in the minds, each of them, and they expressed them to each other. But they were afraid to express them to the Lord. Uh, and you see this here. Uh, you could also look over in and I don't want to get bogged down in these. Uh, it's just, again, giving you a flavor for how the word is used throughout Scripture. We can see in Luke chapter three and verse 15 that the people uh, concerning whether uh, John the Baptist was a Messiah. And that's similar to another context that we uh, saw there early. Uh, the Lord knew the inner conceptions of the, the disciples with uh, and without uh, outer expression. And so we've seen this and don't need to go into it much deeper. Uh, but there you see the disciples mental conception regarding uh, not attaining bread was known by the Lord. Uh, and then the chief priests and elders shared mental conceptions uh, prior to the answer of the Lord's question regarding uh, John's baptism. Top of page five. We see that the scribes and Pharisees conceived uh, thoughts inwardly relating to the Lord forgiving sins. And so hopefully you have a, just a, a little bit of an understanding of how this word is used throughout Scripture. Now, uh, again, one of the things that shocked me when I did this word study uh, and I came to, and again, it's spinning off of that Romans chapter one. I thought that there would be some positive references to this, uh, this word in Scripture. And I can tell you I've been through every last word, verb and noun form, and there is not one positive reference. And so that caused me to extend my study a little bit and say, well, if there's no positive reference, then what does that mean to us? And so what did I take out of it? I took out of it that there's no positive reference to mental conception because you don't have to mentally conceive anything concerning your Christian life. It's all been done for all of us. There's nothing to mentally conceive. You don't have to contrive or make up anything with regard to your Christian life. We've been given and provided everything in Christ. And so as you look through these epistles references, you would think, oh, maybe one pops up. Not one. They're all negative. And so you don't believe me? Let's read through them. Romans chapter 14. We see the believer is not to receive a weaker brother for the purpose of mental conceptions and judgment. Go with me over to Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. <clears throat> now, what these will do is I think they're going to paint the picture of this word uh, just a little bit better than we all even had it there in the Gospels. But in Romans chapter 14 and verse one, remember, 
in the context, he's talking about uh, this weak and strong brother. Now, believers can be at different places and different understandings spiritually, right? You might have learned a lot of the word of God. And then uh, there's a click further you can go with just learning. Some people learn forever and don't learn how to use that information that they learn. And so as you take this information that you're learning and apply it to your life, you go another click. Now you have knowledge that we call experiential knowledge that shows you how you can live and how this information applies to your life. Then you can go another click even from that. You've done this so many times and perfected this so many times that you have a full experiential knowledge concerning this thing. And it becomes, I wouldn't say mastery because that's, <laughs> you're walking a crazy line there when you start talking about mastering the things concerning God. But you, you have a way better understanding than, than when you were back here, right? And so believers can be weak and they can be strong in the faith. And we see that here in this, this context. He says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not with doubtful disputations. Now, that word or term uh, doubtful disputations there, we have the word for judgment. And, and it's uh, even heightened because it, it has this dia preposition on it. And so it has this idea of judging through all of the different scenarios. And then when used with this word for uh, that we've been looking at, this idea of mental conceptions, it gives you the idea that someone could receive a brother and be going through all the different scenarios in their head the whole time of why this guy is doing what he's doing. And nobody, nobody ever does that in this room, right? We don't judge people's motives. We never do that. No. <laughs> I know all of you don't. I, I've probably done it a couple times, but certainly none of you guys. And so that's what he's doing here. In verse 2, he says, For one believeth that he may eateth all things. Another who is weak eats herbs. And so you can see this uh, with liberties and understanding that, hey, in Christ, we there's nothing that's that's uh, really defiling, as we borrow from the Gospels there, the person in and of itself. And all things are permissible. And uh, the governor for what you're doing in your Christian life is the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody that's just uh, weaker in the, in, in the faith might not know that or understand that. And they see you doing this activity over here and they say, well, that's sin. <laughs> and so you don't receive that brother uh, and judge through everything that's th that, that individual is thinking in his mind or conceiving in his mind. And so you can see how this can be a, a negative thing. In verse 3, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth uh, not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? Uh, to his own master he standeth and falleth. Now, uh, what I'm not saying here is that there are not opportunities where a believer needs to judge another believer. Those things that are apparent in action and activity you can say, hey, brother, you're not on the right track there, right? But those things that you can't see that are going on inside the head of another individual, those things you need to leave alone. We don't know what's going on inside the head, and that's uh, what we see with that uh, judging through uh, mental conceptions. We can also go over to Romans, chapter, excuse me, not Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, here we see the mental conceptions of the wise 
are known by the Lord. That's interesting. If you went through all of those gospel references, you would see often that it says the Lord knew their thoughts or he knew their mental conceptions. He knew the thought process that was going on in the mind of those individuals. We also see it here. (laughs) He knows the thoughts of the wise uh, that they are vain. It's going to end up saying but first Corinthians chapter three and verse 20. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 17. He says, if a man defile the temple of God, uh, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that they may be wise. For the wisdom of of this age or this world. Is that world or age? Uh, world, excuse me, is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain or useless. Uh, remember, we looked at uh, another context where it talked about, I believe it was in uh, Romans chapter one, where uh, they were given over to vain imaginations or useless mental conceptions. And here we see it again, the, the thoughts of those that think that they're wise apart from Christ are what? Useless. And it's going to lead to a lot of activity that is not fruitful. Uh, and we see that in, in scripture. Uh, also over in Philippians chapter two and verse 14, we see the believer is to do all things uh, apart from complaining and mental conceptions. Now, uh, Brother Dan, I hear uh, on one of the occasions he had of filling in for me, uh, did a message on this uh, very verse. And so hopefully we're just giving a high five to each other here (laughs) and uh, aligned in the way we saw it uh, to some degree. But do all things without murmuring and disputing. Pick it up in verse 12. And it says there, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, a lot of people just stop there, right? (laughs) You have a work to do in your salvation. You got to work it out. Well, verse 13 does exist. (laughs) It says, for it is God which is working in you to do both of his good will and pleasure. I like the way someone said it long ago. It might have been Pastor Dave. Uh, the, uh, human response to divine enablement. You've been given the ability to do certain things, and it's up to you to walk those things out in real time. Uh, and that's, that's where your responsibility comes into play. In verse 14, he says, do all things. Contextually, this is pertaining to the Christian life without murmurings and disputings. And so this idea of murmuring, you can see with the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. And I don't know, Brother Dan, was this the same word that's used in the Septuagint regarding? There you go. So the uh, children of Israel, as they're wandering through the desert, they said, hey, man, 
Thank you, God. You've done great to bring us out of Israel. We appreciate you. <laughs> no, not at all. That's called sarcasm. <laughs> they said every step along the way. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Israel or in Egypt that you brought us out here into the wilderness to die? And that was their murmuring and disputing and belly aching every step of the way. And so he says, do all things without that <laughs> and without this idea of mental conception. You're thinking through all of the scenarios of your different situations on your own. It's you that has to figure these things out. It's you that has to come up with the right concepts of what you should do. That's, again, sarcasm. <laughs> no, it's God that's already, we see in verse 13, uh, working or energizing in you to do of his goodwill and pleasure. And so uh, quite the, the contrary. And so we see this is another negative example of someone who would be uh, utilizing these mental conceptions when it comes to spiritual things. In First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, we see the communication of the believer on behalf of leaders should not involve mental conception uh, concerning the individual. Now, <laughs> I could go a lot of ways with this, but <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm just going to say that we should pray for our leaders, right? And it should not be with all of this thinking through the different scenarios by which we should communicate on their behalf. It says simply pray on behalf of our leaders. First Timothy chapter two. Now, I will confess for myself that gets hard at times. Right. It's not always easy to say, let's pray on behalf of our leaders, especially if you, you disagree with them. Uh, but uh, we have the obligation to do it. In first Timothy chapter two and verse eight, pick it up in verse one. A combination of hot and cold is driving away the cough. I don't think you're going to see it. Again, the rest of this time, I'm, I'm hoping. And someone gave me a cough drop back there. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, verse one, he says, I exhort you, therefore, uh, that first of all, supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, you can even spin this out, and, and, and that's why I use the word for leaders, is you're thinking, what is he talking about here? He's talking about authority figures. We have bosses on the job that often we don't agree with, and sometimes people voice that displeasure to their bosses rather than praying on behalf of their bosses and understanding that it's God that's over this whole situation and that is driving and dictating it. And rather, uh, what comes to our mind let me think through the scenarios of what I have to do to get myself out of this situation. And a mental conception comes into play. In verse 2, uh, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will or who desires uh, to have all men saved. Now, this is a very important verse as we start talking about uh, soteriology. Excuse me. If, if he had determined that all would be saved, would there be an unsaved person walking this earth? No. God can do anything that he, de he, de he desires um, or determines, and everything that he determines will be done. But it says he desires for all men to be saved. 
not determines, and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. And there, I believe, is our word for a full experiential knowledge of the truth. Not just that you know the facts concerning the truth, it's that you have a full experiential knowledge of how to use it in your life. Uh, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, uh, the man uh, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, this word for doubting is our word for mental conceptualizing, right? We can go through scenarios in our head whereby we reason away why we're not remembering or communicating on behalf of those that are leaders. Well, that person is evil. <laughs> well, that person did this or that to me. And we don't want to communicate on behalf of them. But this says in all things, in all situations. Uh, and so we're not going to have that, that uh, mental conceptualizing going on in our mind. Over in James chapter 2 and verse 4, we see the individual trying to get inside the mind of another is attempting to interpret mental conceptions. Now, we just talked about that a little while ago with our Romans reference that you have no idea what's going on inside the head of another. Uh, and I'm not going to act like that I don't ever do it, right? That I don't ever say this person did this because. This is what was going on in their mind. Like I can read the mind of an individual. Yeah, often uh, if you have siblings, I had two, uh, one older, one younger. One terrorized me, one didn't. I'll leave uh, to you who the friction was with. Is it with the one that's here? I'll leave to you <laughs> who the friction was with. Um, You've, you've seen us together and, and deporting ourselves amongst each other. Uh, I'll leave it to you. <laughs> but as you're, you're growing up uh, and you get into all these different spats with your siblings, right? And you go and tell your parents, he did this because <laughs> I knew exactly what he was thinking, right? Or they come and tell the, uh, our parents on me, Courtney did this because they knew exactly what I was thinking or what was going on in my mind or what mental conception brought me to the action that I actually per uh, performed. And you have to be very careful of that. This is what it's speaking of here in James. You have no idea what's going on inside the mind of another individual. You have no idea the thought process that led to action. You only know the action. And that's all you can look at uh, and judge through. Pick it up in verse one. He says, my brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, Sit there, uh, sit thou here in the good place and say unto the uh, poor, stand now uh, there and sit under my footstool. Verse four, are you not uh, then partial in yourselves and become the judges of evil thoughts? This word for uh, evil thoughts is our, uh, well, the term 
is our word for uh, mental conceptions with malignantly evil thoughts. That word for evil has the idea of evil that's not satisfied to just be evil by itself. I remember this book that I read when I was younger, A Wrinkle in Time, and it talked about these uh, little evil uh, entities that were inside the mitochondria of these individuals. You can tell this was a fantasy book. But they were all working in concert with one another to bring down the body of that individual. And so these little particles of the body all working together in evil. See, it wasn't just one particle. They were all working together. Those particles weren't satisfied to be evil by themselves. They ganged up together to be evil. We see it in the uh, activity of those that would uh, get charged under the RICO law in, 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 uh, in, our, uh, in America. What did they say? These people were working together to carry out crime. You talk, talk about the mafia and things like that. They're not working individually. They work together to, uh, to bring forth the crime that they commit. Uh, and this is what, what's used here. Malignantly evil mental conceptions. And so what this individual is saying by accepting one person over the other is that there's something better about this person that's rich than this person that's poor. Correct? And so he's telling you, don't receive people in that manner. Uh, and so in verse 5, he says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him? And so the answer there is obviously yes. It doesn't matter your uh, status as, as that uh, goes. Now, the last one we want to look at is back to our main context, which comes from Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. And we see historically the opportunity to have a personal relationship with God was met with inward conceptions that stemmed from a lack of appreciation for who he was. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. And I'm going to read the verse and then we'll read just a little after so you can see uh, some of these activities um, that followed. In fact, let's go back to verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God and really their equality of the wrath of God, not the complete wrath of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Or really there you could say the divine nature. So that they are without excuse. Now these people, uh, the ones that really get me are, are your scientists who can look out into the, the whole universe and see all the amazing things of this creation. And that creation is screaming and testifying of the fact that there is a God. And they have the nerve to turn around and lead other people and say that there's no God. Unbelievable. In verse 21, because that uh, when they knew God or had the opportunity to know God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, I, I do think this relates to uh, on the other side of the flood. But as you look back or think about the whole history of time and where we've arrived at today, aren't people confessing themselves to be wise at this point in time and that they have some great knowledge? We're at the apex of knowledge and understanding and learning, and they have no idea who the true God of the universe is. Think about that. Verse 23 or uh, yeah, verse 23 says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image of uh, uh, into an image made like unto corruptible man to birds and four footed beasts, creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. And so as they became idolaters, it expands out even further. See, that imagination kept working and thinking of ways of evil until it thought of ways even more evil than what was thought of before. So we go from idolatry and worshiping things that obviously are not God and had no uh, basis in creating this universe to now defiling themselves amongst one another. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And really, you could say there we don't want to spend too much time on it, but they exchanged the truth of God. For a lie or the lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, what happened as a result of that? Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into uh, that which is against nature. Verse 27, and likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another Men with men working those things which are unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see uh, a hint, though it's not mentioned, of the word for malignantly evil. See where this mental conception takes you to? It takes you to a place where you're uh, divorcing yourself from the truth of God. And opening yourselves up to all the lies that are out there in the world. Uh, and it's an unpretty picture uh, that's painted. And so the positive uh, of mental conception the same thought uh, process uh, does take place for an individual. Uh, the believer does not have have to imagine the things we have in Christ. And so uh, these thought processes is you're, you're thinking of uh, imagination and those things that relate to them should only relate to the things of this world. There's nothing wrong with you imagining what I'm going to do with this thing or what I'm going to do with that thing. 
there's something wrong with you imagining or having these mental conceptions concerning the things of God, right? How can you dream up? How can you mentally conceive anything better than what we've been given in Christ? I would submit to you that you cannot. And if you, you think that you can, I would hope that you get that uh, out of your mind very quickly. And so we see the picture of what the believer has in Christ does not have to be conceived. We see the believer now has a quality of the mind of Christ. Now, I left that the in there and crossed it out on purpose to draw your attention to it. You don't have the mind of Christ. Christ's mind does not rest within the, that cranium of yours, but you have access to a quality of the mind of Christ. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we see this. And I would ask you while you're turning over there, how can you get any better than having a quality of the mind of Christ? What else is there to imagine? <laughs> Nothing. And so pick it up in uh, verse 12. He says there, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is out from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, we often talk about the Holy Spirit being the divine teacher. I'm an instrument. <laughs> Any of these men that get up here and speak, though some, you know, I, I give my deference to Pastor Dave. He's definitely taught me a lot, but he's an instrument as well. He's an instrument that God used to communicate his word to us. And we in turn communicate that word to you. And so there's nothing about any of us that is, is anything. It's us working within the framework of what God's provided and the Holy Spirit taking that information and making it real to you. He compares spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, but the natural man receives not the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And again, you can cross out that the, you don't have the mind of Christ, but you have access to, to Christ's thoughts as he's indwelling you. Pastor Dave did a good job of, of, of demonstrating the fact of what it means to be in Christ and how that impacts the life of the individual when you are living there. We talked about putting on Christ as an outward garment earlier, right? And as you're living in your position in Christ and you're living that out and Christ is in you and you in him, well, you're in him and he's in you, this is seen out, right? You can have access to that mind uh, that thinks like, like Christ thinks. Now, back over in Romans chapter two and verse uh, or Romans chapter 12 and verse two. Remember the believer. We won't go there uh, as we've been there before. Uh, the believer uh, has the indwelling Christ and the renewed mind as a result of that. But over to Colossians chapter three and verse two, we see the believer uh, is able to mentally grasp who we are in Christ by actively controlling our state of mind. Now. I anticipated getting here a lot sooner than I had. I was going to spend way more time 
than I'm going to have the time to do here. Uh, but you guys can go back and look at your notes. Now, what you want to do in that um, in the context here is read through chapters one and two of Colossians before you get here to chapter three. Scripture builds on itself. Now, what was going on? We talked about in Colossae. I think they were imagining things. They were getting information from other people and they were letting this dictate their minds and the mental conceptions that they were coming up with of, of why things should be the way they are. Really quickly, go back with me to chapter two. I won't take too much time for whoever's after me, I promise. Uh, but pick it up in, in verse uh, 11. And he talks about positional truth here. Anytime you see those in whom's, those uh, in, in him, all of these uh, prepositions with these uh, uh, pronouns, you, you need to underline them. In, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried and really here co-buried with him. In baptism, wherein also you are co-risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who is who hath raised him out from the dead and you uh, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwritten ordinances that are against us. Uh, which was contrary to us and took uh, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show over them or uh, a show of them openly triumphing uh, them in it. Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day or in respect of new moon or in uh, Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is Christ. Uh, let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which you have not seen, vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind. Now, this idea here, I mean, this is a, I lost my notes there. They were, I had some extra ones on my computer that uh, related to this. If you want those, just uh, contact me. Uh, but as you're, you're thinking of this, these things that they had not seen, if you've not seen something and you're trying to come up with a way of, of carrying out religious service, how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do that through that process that we just talked about, of making up these mental conceptions in your, in your mind of how to serve God. And it has nothing to do with who you are in Christ. And this is what he's warning them against. Uh, and so I don't have a, a lot of time to continue going through that. But as you roll down to chapter three, he tells them since now that if there, if you haven't done it, underline that if it's not an if it's a first class condition and it's used in the indicative uh, uh, mood as far as the, the verb that's used there. And so it's a sense. It's not a question. It's a fact. If you believe the fact the facts of the gospel, since you've been risen in Christ, Seek the things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections. Remember that word we talked about, the, these thoughts. Where are your thoughts uh, iteratively, iteratively <laughs> in your mind going? Do they go back to what's going on on the world or in the world? 
or did it go back to who you are in Christ and what's going on at the right hand of God? Set your uh, affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, uh, then shall you appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see these lists, and they get you to thinking of the other ones that you see in Scripture, right? We just came out of a list there in, in Romans chapter 1 of evil acts that came out of these mental conceptions that they were dreaming up, right? And so they weren't dreaming up of how, how to serve God. They were dreaming up ways to serve their own natures. And this is where we can get uh, away from living in our Christian lives the way that we should. When you're dreaming up ways to reinvent the wheel or to think of a different way to do something that's already been perfectly provided for you, you get into a place or we get into a place where uh, God does not desire for us to be. So I want to close out with that. These mental conceptions of individuals are composed of incoming thoughts that internalize pictures of thoughts. And so you come to this conclusion in your mind based on these thoughts that have come in your mind. Uh, The mental conceptions of individuals can be verbalized to others with a potential negative impact. And so you can negatively impact other people with your own mental conceptions. The mental conceptions of individuals can impact their activities. If you're dreaming up ways in this Christian life to carry out things, I can guarantee you that it's going to negatively impact your Christian life. And the mental conceptions can be used adversely or to adversely affect the thought processes of the believer. Um, You don't have to dream up anything. Imaginations are wonderful. It's good to be a kid and have dreams of what you're going to be when you grow up. It's good to, as a sports fan, I'm an Oklahoma fan, and I dream of the day when they hoist that championship trophy again. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. But there is something. (laughs) Watch it. (laughs) I've still got the microphone up here. (laughs) But there is something wrong with dreaming up ways to redo what God has already done. There's there's no mental conception or process that you have to come up with other than that which has already been provided for you. So if you take nothing away from uh, this study today, take away that. Our imagination is not useful to this Christian life. You have it all. Thank you.